Hi, welcome to Totem Talks. I'm Helen Fruin and I'm delighted today to be joined by Andrea Newton in the new episode of our series called Three Conversations. So as you're probably aware, if you've been listening before, this is my journey in writing a book about having honest conversations, getting more of the life and the work results that we want through honest, maybe direct, maybe difficult conversations. And I'm interviewing people about three particular uh, pieces, three particular questions and so delighted today to be joined by Andrea because my goodness has this woman got a story. Uh, So let's dive in Andrea tell us a bit about you who you are and and how you've come to be here today. Okay so hi Helen and thank you for the opportunity um, of being here today. My name is Andrea Newton and for the last 20 odd years I've worked in a corporate setting as a freelance trainer and consultant working with organisations from media through to refuse collection. And um, one of the the areas that I've worked in is an area that I call crucial conversations. So Mm. it was indeed quite ironic that as somebody who trained in that area, my inability to have (laughs) quite a significant conversation for quite some time Um, And that's what brings me here today to share with you how sometimes even when you know how to have the conversation, having the courage to have the conversation can be something else besides. Definitely. And that applies to all areas of life, right? We we often know what we should be doing or what is best for us to be doing and we're not doing it. (laughs) Totally. The whole woulda, shoulda, coulda. There we go. Yeah, Yeah. brilliant. So indeed, let's dive in then to our first question, which is about that big conversation. What's Mm. a big, huge, scary (laughs) conversation that you could have avoided? And it sounds like you did avoid. Um, But now looking back, you're so glad you did it. Tell us about that for you. So I um, spent probably eight years avoiding the conversation that um, I really ought to have had. And during that time became desperately unhappy, miserable, Mm. actually burned out completely. Mm. Um, And that was purely and simply because I was in the wrong relationship. I Mm -hmm. was married for... 20 odd years um, and at least eight of those I spent wishing that the universe would intervene on my behalf and Mm. basically put an end to that relationship and eventually the point came where I just couldn't hide it any longer I was asked a direct conversation I was asked a direct question and rather than trotting out the well-worn script that I'd been using for years and years, I finally spoke my truth. Mm. Um, and with that came <laughs> the apocalypse that has basically shifted my life completely mm. um, and put me now in, in a very different situation. But yeah, the, the top and bottom of it, like a lot of people, I would guess, was I was trapped in a very unhappy marriage. I couldn't face the the inevitable consequences of what would happen by mm-hmm. ending that relationship. And so I put up with years and years and years of, of being miserable um, with my self-esteem, self-worth, my personal view of me um, regularly taking a battering. Yeah, goodness. 
Uh, and it's interesting because you talk about the the consequences of doing that and the and the apocalyptic effect yeah. indeed of having that conversation. Yeah. Uh, something that's come up a lot for me over the past couple of weeks is talking about the cost of doing nothing mm-hmm. because we're always aware of those consequences of well what if I actually say what I'm yeah. thinking? Yeah. We're aware of those consequences, but the consequence of not doing anything, you know, yeah. talking about 8 years of your life it, it sounds horrendous. Yeah. And that's that's the 8 years that I can reckon. I think it was probably mm. even longer than that and the cost of doing nothing for me was that I used up massive amounts of energy in putting on a brave face I Mm -hmm. wore um, a mask I would go into work and I would deliver workshops and I would do it um, in a really high energy really positive way and as the last person would walk out of the door I would be in a heap on the floor desperately wishing that I didn't have to go home Um, And I created all sorts of distractions. I set up a charity. I got involved (laughs) in in all sorts of things that kept me away from home. And that's why in in my introduction, I suggested that um, I actually suffered from burnout because I was doing so much to stay away from being at home. And in using up all that energy and that resilience, I had nothing left in the tank to help me when I finally had that big conversation. And so I was starting from a very, very low place. Mm. And and that's probably my biggest regret is that I'd used so much energy staying safe, um, okay. operating in safe mode for so long that when I really needed that resilience and that energy, I just didn't have anything left. And... Mm. The wheels fell off. I, I literally was on my knees, rock bottom, um, peering over the edge. Yeah. It's such an interesting point, this idea that because we, we do use our resilience, we, we rely on whatever we've got in the tank. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe there was a point for you of saying, well, because I've got nothing left in the tank, that's why I'm now going to have this direct conversation. I've been asked the direct question. Uh, I'm going to answer because I've got nothing left in the tank. Whereas as you say, if you'd done it when you had something left in the tank, yeah. um, would have been more helpful. And, you know, again, knowing what we could have, should have, would have been doing mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure. actually doing it. Just For so sure. difficult to to make that choice. Yeah. And it, it makes me wonder if there were times previous to that where you were really close to saying it and then chose to just withdraw mm. with those moments there for you beforehand. Absolutely. There have been plenty mm. of times over the years and, you know, they, they talk about ever-decreasing circles and right. it just became a spiral. It just kept coming around and around and mm. I was never ready to face the consequences because yeah. deep down in my gut, I knew what was going to happen. I, I, you know, I really was unleashing Kraken <laughs> um, because like a lot of people, your life becomes so intertwined with mm-hmm. your spouse partner you know so the the house was in both names mm-hmm. he was a co-director in my business he hadn't worked for 16 years he'd lived mm-hmm. off me um we had property we had a pension portfolio again everything was in joint names yeah. so I knew that by removing one brick 
from that, you know, foundation, yeah. everything else would, there would then be a knock-on effect. Plus, mm. we, we had a child and mm. I desperately wanted to protect my son. I thought, like a lot of women do, um, I've since learned, I thought I was doing the right thing by hanging on in there to protect mm. my son. So I think as well as, as the consequences, I think sometimes we kid ourselves that we're avoiding the conversation for all sorts of other reasons. And sometimes, you know, the, the advice that I give now to so many people is that sometimes you've just got to take a deep breath, put your big girl pants on and, and deal with it. I'm loving big girl pants. Yes, <laughs> we need some big girl pants. Going to have some scary yeah. conversations. Yeah. yeah. I'm that a big fan of big girl pants. Definitely. It is so challenging, isn't it, to like you say, to, to know that you've got those consequences, that the foundations are going to get ripped yeah. away, the whole house is going to come crumbling down, apocalyptic end, uh, yeah. to know that that's all going to happen, to see that actually come to fruition. You know, we often say, oh, what you're afraid will happen probably won't happen. For you, it did and more. Uh, and yeah, so to then say to someone, oh, well, it's still worth it, seems ridiculous. And yet for you, you there's still that you know I kind of want to sense check with that with you you know you're still happy that you did it for sure and that's why I tell my story Helen that's why mm. I am happy to tell my story and to share you know what I learned from that with people because I don't want anybody else to go through the absolute misery that I did yeah. I don't want somebody to be looking over the edge and thinking about taking their own life yeah the, the, there is always a way. We just have to press pause while we find the right way. Mm. And one of the things that was so crucial for me in my survival was my social scaffold. And, mm. you know, people laugh when I talk about a social scaffold. But if I hadn't had the ability to talk openly about how mm. I was feeling and what was going on, I promise you I, I wouldn't be alive today. And nobody needs to do that. I want to share my story so that people understand that there is always a way. We just need to find it. And actually, silence kills. So powerful. And it is incredible that you share your story. And we'll put links uh, into the text underneath the podcast mm -hmm. to the newspaper article that came out recently, because that's where you can uh, see the full story of what Andrea went through. Uh, and as you describe, Andrea, sharing that story so that other people know there is another way is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've recently gone through the whole pandemic. We had lockdown. Mm -hmm. If that was going on at this time, I wouldn't be here today. Right. Because I wouldn't have been able to reach out. I wouldn't have been able to get the help that mm. I needed. And that's something else that I'm really keen for people to know. However difficult the conversation might be, however dreadful the consequences might be, there is help out there. Yeah. And again, that's another conversation we need to be prepared to have. We need to ask mm. for that help. Mm. Amazing. Incredible story. Uh, and so it makes me wonder where on earth we'll go next from the huge <laughs> conversation to the tiny conversation, because <laughs> it seems so contrasting, but maybe it'll be just as serious. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So the second question is, is what's a little conversation that's not been anywhere near such a big deal, but you're still really glad you had? I wanted to share my second example of a conversation because I think what this does portray is the importance of listening. Mm. 
in conversations. Ah, okay. When when we think about difficult conversations, we're often thinking about having the courage to say what I need to say. Mm. But also, I think sometimes one of the challenges is that we have to be prepared to listen. Mm-hmm. And so the example I wanted to share with you was actually um, a conversation that I had with um, a complete stranger. I phoned Samaritans when right. I was at my very worst. Sure. Um, I intended to take my own life and mm. I had Samaritans literally on speed dial. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to a lady one night. She had a very gentle, kind Scottish voice. And Samaritans listen. Samaritans don't advise. Samaritans mm-hmm. don't tell you what to do, which is what came as a bit of a shock to me. Okay. But she listened and she listened some more. And she listened until I found myself saying, there's got to be a way out of this. Mm. And in that moment, when I came off the phone from her that night, I made a promise to the universe that I would do for somebody else what she'd done for me. Wow. I would create um, a climate where people could be heard. And that's really what took me into qualifying in suicide intervention mm-hmm. um, and now working with corporate organisations to try to encourage them to create that listening environment so that if people do need to have a difficult conversation with you as their manager, their HR, professional, whatever you might be, yeah. that you totally recognise the importance of making space and just listening, not fixing it, I'm not encouraging people in a business setting to become the fixer or the counsellor or the therapist. And actually, that isn't what Samaritans do. What they do is make a safe space and listen to what you have to say and give you an opportunity to find your way. Mm-hmm. And so my, my second conversation was much more gentle, but it was equally as, as life-changing for me in that moment when yeah. I made my promise. Yeah, absolutely incredible Uh, and it's fascinating even to for you to think of that as a little conversation that does not sound like a small conversation in (laughs) any way shape or form (laughs) trust me trust me some of the things that I've had to do as a result of my apocalypse you know I I had to I had to go to court and I had to stand up in a big scary court and Mm. I had to get the restraining orders and you know I had to do so much big stuff that actually just that calm, quiet moment between me and that total stranger Mm. really stands out for me as probably one of the most important conversations I've ever had. And I said, you know, that the listening side of it there was the real catalyst. Yeah. And that takes us beautifully on to to my third question, which is through all of these huge experiences in your life, what have you learned? And I I imagine that's a key part for you is about the listening side of it. So yeah, what advice would you give people listening about having difficult conversations or or crucial conversations as you call them? Yeah, I would say that the key thing really is to prepare is to, um, I was caught on the hop because the opportunity presented itself and I took it. Mm. and I think had it been different I would have taken more control and perhaps not have been as in such a bad state emotionally psychologically mentally as I was Mm. 
So for me, it really is the deep breath, the big girl pants. It's we've got about, scaffolding, we've got big girl pants. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, and the social scaffold is really important. Mm. You know, I was never somebody who believed that I had lots of friends. Um, you know, like a lot of people in my situation, I travel a lot for work. I don't have, you know, sort of, I don't go to yoga every Wednesday at the local leisure centre. So I, I didn't have that kind of circle. Mm. And one of the things that really stood out for me was the people that stepped up for me when I was able to be honest with them. Great. So it's about the preparation. It's the big girl pants. It's the social scaffold. And it's to recognise that whatever the consequences are, there is always going to be a way. Mm. You just have to be prepared to find that way. Nobody ever needs to be in the situation that I was in where I, I literally was intending to end my life. It doesn't have to be like that. Mm. It's such a powerful line to have that no matter how bad it gets, I believe there will always be a way. I believe there is another way. Totally. Right? And to just have that line to fall back on when nothing else makes sense. Yeah. And, and the question to ask is what is possible? What is okay. possible? And the you listing know, all the millions of things that aren't. <laughs> totally. Because that's what yes. we do. That's what yes. we do. I spent years going, and this and that and the other, and this will be awful and that'll all fall apart. Yeah. Rather than saying to myself, actually, what is possible? Mm. What tiny little thing could I be doing? And, you know, one of the things that I do want to stress and to anybody who's listening to this, never underestimate the power of a single conversation. Mm. Because certainly in the work that I'm doing now in the fight against suicide, we know that as little as a 20 minute conversation can actually save a life. Incredible. And again, to your point about uh, in encouraging these conversations, you don't have to be someone's therapist or, no. or fixer. No. Um, is there a sense of what happens in that 20 minutes? Is it just the listening? Is it the sense of, uh, as you say, being there for the person? What was your sense of that? You're absolutely right to say you don't need to be the expert. Um, and obviously the work that I do within organisations, I'm not training managers to become counsellors or therapists. Sure. What, I'm, what I'm doing is helping them be comfortable with sensitive subjects like suicide. Because actually, you know, it's all very well us to say that if people are struggling, they need to reach out. When mm. you're carrying the burden of thinking of taking your own life you're already yeah. carrying a heavy weight you can't reach out people need to be prepared to reach in mm. people need to be prepared to acknowledge that actually something's not right here your behavior is different your performance has dropped you're not delivering the results that you normally do mm -hmm. and actually have the courage to have that crucial conversation are you all right mate is everything yeah. okay because what i have to say to you is even just having somebody who cares enough to notice and then say, are you all right? Sometimes if you are feeling the way I was, mm -hmm. you get trapped in a toxic bubble with only mm -hmm. your own thoughts for company. And depression lies, silence kills. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And if all you do in that conversation is help somebody burst the toxic bubble so that they can release some of the pressure and just say, this is how I'm feeling right now. Sometimes mm-hmm. just that on its own, to know that somebody else gives a damn yeah, can be helpful. Well, as you say, depression lies. So totally. all of the lies about nobody cares about me, nobody's interested in me, I may as well not exist, you know, all of those lies. If somebody says, yeah. how are you doing, mate? Yeah. There's an automatic challenge to that lie. Yeah, but we need to be ready that if we are going to say to somebody, are you all right, mate? The likely response, because we do this all the time, is we go, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm the busy. Rule... I'm fine, yeah. I'm busy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the rule is you ask twice. Yeah. Okay, I know I know you say you're fine um, and I'm not being nosy. I'm just a little mm. bit worried about you because what I've mm. noticed recently is this. And yeah. that's all it has to be, just a sign that somebody even cares enough to notice that you're not mm. in a good place. And then obviously if I trust you and we can have the conversation and I can perhaps start to share with you some of the things that are on my mind... In a professional capacity as a manager, you should then be able to signpost me to get the help that I need. I don't want you to fix me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you you couldn't if you tried would be my... uh... (laughs) Anybody tried to fix me, it wouldn't go well. (laughs) Yeah, but I do think that's sometimes the mistake we make, Helen. We we hide away from conversations because um, we're worried about saying the wrong thing or we're worried about making matters worse. And actually, it's not about what you say. It's about you creating a safe space and listening for me to tell you what's going on for me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, It does make so much sense. Uh, and I think we've all been there, right? We've all been in those moments where we're telling somebody something and they're trying to fix it for us or they're trying to uh, tell us, oh, no, it'll be okay. Oh, it sounds like you're really down. You know, cheer up, no. smile. It'll be good. And it's just not helpful. And we think you're just not hearing me. No. And how often do we feel that we're not being heard? We're not being listened to? You know, it's such a gift we can give to people if we can. As you made that promise to the universe that day, mm-hmm. uh, give that gift to someone else of just listening and hearing them. Yeah. And that's, again, that's the importance of that social scaffolding. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, three women who basically kept me alive. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really clear that I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for them. None Mm. of them are qualified mental health experts. Um, In fact, they don't even live locally. Everything that Mm. we did was via social media and text messaging. Um, And, you know, one night I had to phone the police when things got really bad. Mm. And one of them just stayed on the phone with me while I waited for the police to come. Great. And it's that social scaffolding. It's about us as a society, as a community, being prepared to have crucial conversations and to acknowledge that we can make such a positive difference to other people without being the expert. Absolutely amazing. Andrea, thank you so much. And I can only imagine that everybody listening is thinking, well, how does my organisation get involved in this? Or how can I find out more about Andrea's work? How can they find you? Um, I'd suggest the the easiest way is to go to my website, which is abdcct.co.uk. Great, we'll put a link to that below. 
and and actually Helen if if people are interested in making a positive difference within their organizations I'm hosting a free online seminar um, on the 9th of September which is ahead of World Suicide Prevention Day. Mm. Um, My promise to the universe was that I would use my past to help other people's futures and the more organisations can engage with that and recognise that health and safety isn't just soap and social distancing. Yes. Um, that's where we can make a real difference and really encourage a climate where crucial conversations can happen. Wonderful. My goodness, what an inspiration, Andrea, you are in the the vulnerability, the openness with which you share your story. And then as you say, that promise you've made and are clearly fulfilling uh, <laughs> to really help other people avoid falling into that same trap and to help other people avoid other people falling into that same trap because so much of your work is not just helping people on that edge but helping the rest of us know how to spot them find them and have those conversations yeah for sure none of us want to be in a situation where we wonder if we could have done something to help Mm -hmm. that person if it's too late you know organizations talk a lot about the cost of of poor mental health to their business but I wonder if they've ever considered what cost or value they put on the life of a colleague wow Andrea thank you so much for your incredible openness your amazing story and I wish you all the best in your fantastic work it sounds absolutely amazing thank you so much and thank you to all our listeners please do go and follow Andrea's work because my goodness what a difference that can make Alrighty, let's close it up there. Thanks, Andrea. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity.